You are now listening to The Sound of Sanity. This sound will continue for the duration of the program. Hey everybody, welcome to Sound of Sanity. My name is Alexander Hamilton. <laughs> My name is... Uh, I'm not even going to try and do that. My name is Nathan, your humble and obedient host. Sometimes I rap, actually. Hey, I'm Nathan. I'm your humble and obedient host, and I'm here to rap like a stilted force ghost. <laughs> you <It's> succeeded. Like... <laughs> <laughs> now we meet a guy who has the most, even though he would never boast. He's Benjamin Solzer. He's got a mole, sir. It's true. But he's never dull. (laughs) (laughs) I can't keep going because I can't compete with pure gold. All right. But I'm here. You are Benjamin Solzer, associate producer for the show. You are about to introduce, in rap, our third compatriot. Awesome. The third man on our show. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) It's Pastor Jake. As you may know, he's not a rake. <laughs> but he's got a cool wife who likes to bake. Let's stop this rapping, for goodness sake. <laughs> <laughs> we can do that. Sound of Sanity, the whitest show <laughs> in all of podcasting. All right. Jake's the pastor. Ben's the associate producer. I'm your humble and obedient host. We are going to talk about Alexander Hamilton today. Uh, we're not going to review the show. If you want to hear me and Jake's thoughts on the new Disney Plus production, old you know, the new Disney Plus thing that's the old version of Hamilton with the original. You know what I'm talking about. The original Broadway cast. Yeah, I, th- I think everybody knows what I'm talking about. I yes. haven't seen it, but I know what you're talking about. But your wife saw it on... In, she saw it in London. In London, yeah. Yep. That's pretty she, cool. She always goes to London to see musicals. That's my wife for you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that is just like a classic, like... When, it, when I'm tempted to ask, where's Megan? I don't, because I just assume, of course, she's in London seeing another musical. She was working, folks... She was working. Okay, so we're not going to review it, but you can hear our review over at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. It's out right there right now. It's actually free over there. You don't have to pay a dime. You just go there and you listen to it in that format, which, you know, kind of softens you up to the idea of maybe giving us some moolah on Patreon. But you can hear that one without giving us any moolah. And you can hear lots of other good things at patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. I like Hamilton a lot, the show. I think that's probably worth saying. And you can hear more about that. I do have some concerns. Jake, would you agree with these yeah. sentiments? You got to go where I just said for that. But today I want to talk about an article that was published by that great place that publishes things, Fox. And the article is called Hamilton. You should clarify because it sounded like you might have said Fox. No, no, no. <laughs> like Vox, like Vox and Friends, or the fantastic Mr. Vox. Oh. Did I clarify? Does everybody get it now? I think you no. just made it more confusing. Right. You did. Did I? Okay. You did. Vox. Like, what does the Vox say? What does the Vox say? Well, I'll tell you, Ben. <laughs> I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I, I know who you are. <laughs> what, Vox, what the Vox says. <laughs> I hate that song. Okay. Uh, it says, Hamilton is fanfic and its historical critics are totally missing the point. That's the name of the article. Pretty provocative title. Yep. Now, let me read the first paragraph of this article. Earlier this year, the New York Times turned heads by asking whether the hit Broadway musical, Hamilton's, Historical fudging on certain points is, well, good for us. It's an excellent piece of concern trolling. 
giving several historians an opportunity to hand-wring about the musical's over-glorification of Alexander Hamilton, the immigrant revolutionary who authored the Federalist Papers and founded the U.S. Treasury. Unquote. So the article then goes on to talk about the ways that the musical fudges historical reality to make a, quote, unabashed elitist who liked big banks, mistrusted the masses, and at one point called for a monarchical presidency and a Senate that served for life, unquote, into its progressive immigrant hero. So I'm going to link to the article in the show notes and you can read the whole thing. But basically the point that it makes, well, let me just read another quote from the article. Quote, this criticism of how Hamilton places its title character in context might be legitimate if Hamilton weren't, well, what it is. In essence, Hamilton is a postmodern metatextual piece of fanfic functioning in precisely the way that most fanfics do. It reclaims the canon for the fan. The article then goes on to argue, quote, Miranda's musical is fan fiction. That is, it's literally a creative text written by a fan that reinterprets or expands on a previously existing source material or canon. Uh, more specifically, Hamilton is a fanfic of Cherno's biography of Alexander Hamilton and more generally of U.S. history itself. Here are a few structural elements that Miranda uses in order to create the uniqueness of Hamilton that are crucial, common elements of much contemporary fanfic. RPF, real person fanfiction. Hamilton itself is RPF, part of a huge and ancient genre of fiction that retells stories of real historical figures, usually taking many liberties with historical accuracy. Next, alternate universe. A type of fanfic that changes something crucial about the original story or source material. Next, race bending. The act of changing a character's race or ethnicity to make the character part of an underrepresented cultural community, in turn creating a role for an actor from that community. Next, the modern AU. An AU or alternate universe that removes characters and or plots from their original context in the past and brings them into the present. Next, the political AU. An AU that puts the original characters and or plots into a different or new political context. Next, the, the crossover. crossover. A fanfic that combines elements of two or more fandoms. The article goes on to explain at some length how Hamilton does these things and ends like this. The fundamental objective of fanfic, especially when it is written by women, queer, and genderqueer people and people of color, is to insert yourself aggressively and brazenly into stories that are not about and were never intended to be about or represent you. Hamilton unites the stories of American independence with Black, Latino, and Asian actors who are excluded from it, and in doing so, allows these excluded citizens to put themselves back into the narrative. Hamilton is not just a story of history. It is the story of the ongoing struggle to make sure that people of color, immigrants, women, and other marginalized groups are included in the sequel. That's a little Hamilton reference. Fans of Hamilton don't flock to the musical because of the way it transforms the Founding Fathers. They flock to Hamilton because of everything the Founding Fathers never were. Unquote. So that was a lot of verbiage. Does somebody want to sum up the, the argument that this article's making? Uh, no. <laughs> I hope that was helpful. <laughs> Basically, it's saying that Hamilton is retconning history and giving us a narrative for us, for our time, that's historical. It's changing the historical canon, and that's okay. That's a good thing, because it allows us to have a story that we can identify, and especially minorities can identify with in a modern context. 
Um, and it doesn't really matter all that much. All this hand-wringing by historians doesn't matter all that much because what's crucial is the meta-narrative or the meta-textual narrative that this is putting forward for us as something we can embrace for ourselves, a story, a rags-to-riches immigrant story that is for our time and we can claim as our own history. Enrique, you texted me that article this morning. Yeah. Because it made you feel pretty queasy, uneasy. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. What's the word? <laughs> I think I actually used the word terrified. Terrified. Um, <laughs> yeah, and why was that? Well, on the one hand, the winners interpret history. Everybody's always interpreting history. Who All lives, his- who dies, who tells the story. Right. That's a Hamilton reference. <laughs> yeah. Everybody is always trying to interpret history and in- interpret it in a way that pushes their beliefs or their narratives or whatever it is, their agendas, or, or that validates their, their agendas. Let me actually give you, before you go on, let me give two examples from the Warhorn canon, the stuff that we make. And, and we will maybe talk about whether these actually fall under what this person is talking about. So we have often tried to argue that Jane Austen was not a feminist, that she was just a happy aunt that loved her place in life, or at least was okay with it, and wasn't a social climber, wasn't bitter about all the kind of Marxist things that people try to read backwards into her novels, that if you actually read their novels, she seems like a biblical, godly kind of woman. We We have also argued that Shakespeare seems like a guy that didn't take his art overly seriously just considered himself to be a humble craftsman and both of those points of view are us arguing from the text you know we're interpreting historical figures in a way that aligns with with our beliefs that's true we're also fighting against a whole bunch of people that are trying to reinterpret historical facts to push their own agendas of feminism and marxism and appropriate people like jane austen and whoever else for their own purposes the real issue is whether or not we're going to actually deal with the facts though right (laughs) that's the issue and so we actually aren't doing this Mm -hmm. we don't do what the vox article says because the vox article says we should do or that hamilton does and is cool with it just erases facts rewrites facts or whatever to construct a narrative that supports its agenda that's not what historians do and -hmm. it's not what we do when we make our arguments about austin we at least acknowledge we have to reckon with the facts if we found out if we found well we think the facts support our version of austin Mm -hmm. we're not just papering over facts if new letters came to light where austin was like ah the patriarchy blows then we'd be like oh well guess we were wrong guess we were wrong about that but the fact is alexander hamilton was an orphan nobody from nowhere who was therefore elitist, who mm-hmm. was therefore all this other stuff, they make him into like a pro-immigration, proto-abolitionist. The man traded in slaves. Right. He married the, the wealthiest slaveholder in New York, his daughter. He was all about advancing his own career and taking advantage of, you know, he had nothing. So he wooed his way and married his way into a wealthy family. He was, he was a reacher. And he was actually pretty anti-immigration. Okay, you can go and listen to what we said about Hamilton. I don't necessarily mind what Miranda did with the musical. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to then turn and say that actually what we need to do is 
rewrite history and rewrite the facts of history in order to construct narratives for ourselves. We're going to rewrite the historical canons and change the facts to fit a narrative that suits us. So that's that's pretty scary. What I think Lin-Manuel Miranda would probably say, what I've seen him say is, yeah, I had to be selective because I'm trying to condense a bunch of history into a two and a half hour musical. We can argue over whether I got it right, but I was trying to get it right. And then the New York Times comes back and says, well, we gathered a bunch of historians and you got it wrong. And then Miranda comes back and says, well, actually, look at this and this and this. And then this guy says, gentlemen, gentlemen. Exactly. You're asking the wrong question. Right. Actually, let's just... What's the story that we need for for a time like today? Is this the story that we need? Is this the history that we want to have? Mm -hmm. And if it's the history that we want to have, then why can't we just have it? That would be because it's a false history and it's lying. What you're doing is you're making space for the kind of thing that, you know, okay, when the communist revolution happened in Russia, they, they renamed their cities, everything became Leningrad and Stalingrad, and, and the history of Russia became communist fan fiction. The history of Germany became Nazi fan fiction. China. The, the history of China becomes communist fan fiction that's Mm -hmm. just what that is part of how they went is they just changed the facts of history (laughs) devil's advocate alarm is going off that's part of the show where somebody has to play the devil's advocate and argue against the point we've been making let me just make a this is not going to be like a supreme devil's advocate argument i'll just say out of the bat but let me just come back at you a little bit jake the people that you would ally yourself with jake the conservatives the right-wingers I don't align myself with right-wingers. Okay, well, the other side of the... Spe- okay, we'll take Jake out of it. Ben, hey, you're a flag-toting, <laughs> all-American kind of a guy. Good boy. Uh, right-wing as they come. That's right. Now, come on. I mean, have you seen Gone with the Wind? That was the most popular cultural event. It was the Hamilton of its time, times 20. You know, way more popular than Hamilton was. Everybody read Gone with the Wind. Everybody saw Gone with the Wind. And it presents this bogus version of a glorious South where there's these, these you know, this, these black mammy characters. There's no other word for it. They're subservient and they're happy and everybody loves each other. And it's just great. And it's so sad that that went away and is gone with the wind. Let me give you another example. The 1950s. Gee, uh, black people weren't treated very well in the 1950s a lot of bad things happened in the 1950s the military industrial con and yet the common cultural idea that we have is leave it to beaver is the andy griffith show is the cute little housewife at home making muffins and the husband coming home in his suit and his tie and smoking a delicious cigarette well you seem happy today well why shouldn't i be i have the two things that would make any man happy a gorgeous wife and i'm smoking a kid which do you like the best now, there's a tough one. You see, for cooking and for dancing and kissing, you satisfy best. But for filter and taste, Kent satisfies best. I'll accept that. As a matter of fact, everybody on all sides is always appropriating history, using it for their agendas. If the downtrodden, if the immigrants are finally getting their say, you're going to be sour grapes about that the the issue isn't people making artistic statements about history and the issue isn't people trying to interpret 
history for themselves. The issue is somebody saying we should have a principle about rewriting history mm-hmm. and putting this forward as nobody who made Leave It to Beaver said we're writing history here. But they didn't have to. I mean, this guy's They're making just, art. This guy's just being honest. Well, like, and he and he's not really I mean, his principle isn't his principle is that we should have uh, good fan fiction. And he's acknowledging it's fiction. It's in the name. Real person RPF, real person fan fiction. Isn't his principle that we should just we should do this, we should acknowledge we're doing it, and, and we should say, Well, of course this isn't true, but we are just simply making a use of history like Leave It to Beaver to help ourselves process who we actually are. Yep, that's what he's saying. I am completely wrong for feeling uncomfortable with it. Oh, good. And that concludes my devil's arguments. I guess hey, I, I hope too. And, and Ben's devil's argument. Yeah. Ben is like the, that's more like the Madison to my Jefferson. I guess Or that's something true. like that. That's pretty cool, actually. I guess you guys were in the room where it happened. It being, Jake was devastated by my amazing arguments. Yep. The question isn't whether or not we're going to interpret the facts or the facts are going to be interpreted and those the facts are going to be interpreted by people who have biases. The question is, are we going to actually interpret the facts or are we just going to write the facts out of history? Mm-hmm. Are we going to change the facts? Are we going to ignore what's convenient and not? Or are we going to assume the righteousness of our point of view and therefore lop off every aspect of history that simply doesn't validate us in our self-righteousness? And to the degree that you wanted to say in your devil's advocacy segment, that's what everybody does, well, then garbage. One, I reject that premise. That is not what everybody does. Two, it is what some people do, and they're wrong for it, and it doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum they're on. When you reinterpret, that is actually what we are not doing what these people are doing when we argue about Jane Austen and Shakespeare. What we're doing is we're rejecting their rejection of the plain facts. Mm-hmm. They want to lop off things about Jane Austen, what she has done and what she has said and what she has stood for, and then reinterpret her and use her to for their own agenda. There are plenty of people out there like that that you can do that with. Take Shelley, take Byron, take any number of historical figures who are trying to do what they want Jane Austen to have done. But you actually have to pervert the facts with Austen to make that the case. That's our contention. We're, what we're not doing is saying, actually, Shelley and Byron were great righteous people who had good agendas, and here's how we can prove it while we conveniently ignore or simply say, who cares what they were actually like? This is what we want them to be like. Yeah, and then so that's answer number one to the devil. I want to answer Ben's devil real quick because Ben's devil said, well, we all know it's fiction, right? So what's the problem? Yep. No, we don't. I mean, <laughs> a lot of kids are <laughs> learning about the Founding Fathers for the first time through Hamilton. And I'm not saying that you can't take dramatic license. I'm not saying you can't take dramatic liberties. I'm not saying you can't condense, change. I'm not saying you can't do all kinds of things artistically. That's not what we're talking about today. What I am saying is that someone who undertakes to write something called Hamilton that tells the story of Alexander Hamilton has a responsibility to be responsible. 
I like that, Ben. They have, a, they have a responsibility to be responsible. That's a great sentence. They should, they should do it responsibly. Now, there's a responsible way to condense, to, to change. You know, we could at least have that argument. To fill in to, details. To fill in details. I mean, if you want to take an example from the show, they streamline Burr and Hamilton's relationship to make it more dramatically exciting. You know, they, they're they in parallel and it's they're the same person. You know, we're not so different, you and I. Yeah, they keep crossing paths more than I assume they really did. I don't yeah. actually know for a fact that they didn't, but they probably weren't. The always, lives weren't that intertwined. They, 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 they weren't just, always they interpreting each other yep. against each other. Yep. Having said that, it's a really nice handle for understanding both men. For it's, cer- a, it's a great way to have a through line for the story of Alexander Hamilton, where Burr functions as a counterpoint and often as the narrator. You have a responsibility. I'm just going to stick with it. You have a responsibility to be responsible as you make your art. You also have a responsibility to be responsible as you consume art. And I think someone who is consuming art responsibly generally understands the kind of liberties that something like Hamilton will take. You know, another like I think I hope the average literate person, maybe I'm being idealistic here, but I would hope that the average literate adult American citizen watching Hamilton would assume, oh, yeah, he's streamlining things and he's taking some dramatic license. What they wouldn't assume, the story is completely bogus. Nobody going into Hamilton thinks that Alexander Hamilton was actually a Puerto Rican. Latino. They do, walking out of the show, think that he was an immigrant. Think that, you know, so we can can have a big, long argument about how responsible Lynn Moran, how responsible his parents were when they named him that name. We can have a big, long argument about how responsible he is and whether he gets it right and whether he's handling this in a mature way, in a way that's godly. I don't want to have that conversation today. What I want to assert is simply that he should, that he has a responsibility to handle this material in a way that doesn't doesn't lie to people. You know, people can get really twisted up about is taking dramatic license lying. Well, okay, we can have those discussions, but the only thing I want to say is we need to start from with an assumption that we should have those discussions, mm-hmm. which this Vox article guy is just like, eh, eh we no, don't we have shouldn't. to. Doesn't matter. Not a big deal. When Shakespeare wrote Richard III, it actually does matter whether the real Richard III was as much of a jerk as the Richard III that Shakespeare wrote. It matters how much of that is propaganda. It doesn't matter that much to me at this point. Right. 400 years on and not really caring about the War of the Roses all that much or having it... Needing any way, reason to validate the line and rule of the Tudors. Right. (laughs) Not, Not that relevant today. Not that relevant today. But... It should at least give me five seconds pause if I find out that Richard III was a pretty great guy and Shakespeare needed to turn him into a villain for the propaganda that was necessary at the time. You know, these are the kinds of discussions we should be having. These are the places where we should be making stands as we interpret our art and as we consume Mm -hmm. it. But this guy just wants to do away with... It's really snobby. He wants to do away with basically 4,000 years of people interacting with plays and having these discussions and just say, eh... Actually, it doesn't matter that much. You can just do whatever you want. Yeah, well, actually, at the end of the day, he almost kind of comes to a place where we have a responsibility to reinterpret. That's the really pernicious part. Yeah, we should, you know, it's basically in the ways that he tries to make space for, he's asserting more for Hamilton than I think Miranda intended. In doing so, asserting the right and responsibility of artists to do this exact sort of thing. Mm-hmm. 
let's rewrite our history. Let's rewrite the canon for the fan, which is just to say, let's give ourselves the history that we wish we had. Right. Let's give ourselves the historical figures that we wish we had, that we wanted to have. Let's be okay with that. Let's be revisionistic. Mm -hmm. And let's not get all our panties in a wad about people who are being revisionistic. They're doing work that is meant to create space for us today. Right. Well, by the way, I don't think it's right when people have this kind of presumption when it comes to the canon of purely fictional works. I mean, there's something very arrogant anti-authoritarian and mean and little about the fans who think that they just own star wars and it needs to be what they want it to be and it needs to reflect their interests it's like actually george lucas made it it's his yeah and does george lucas have a responsibility to you the fans yes he does but it's a two-way street it doesn't just belong to you because you happen to just because you happen to like something doesn't mean that it's yours in that sense i mean even you know we're we're Later today, we're reading through Trevorrow's Duel of the Fates yeah. uh, for a behind-the-scenes thing. And I know I'm going to come away when I finally finished it. Pretty sure, unless he wrecks the ending, which there are all kinds of ways to wreck the ending. But I'm pretty sure I'm going to come away saying, this is my this is my third movie. This is my my Star Wars. This, this, is, this is my fanfic ending here. Mm-hmm. Or... Probably I won't say that. Probably I'll say, well, at least it's better than Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, not but a hard the, thing to say. at the end of the day, the only reason we're going to be saying that is because there is a canonical ending that we don't like. What we can't do is pretend like that canonical ending isn't the real ending. Right. If, if we had $200 million, we could make our own space opera. But the fact is, they gave it to Kathleen Kennedy. We may not love that. For better or worse, it's the way it is. Mm-hmm. And that's what we have to deal with. Right. And yeah. so these people that get mad about like release this, like, okay, fine. You want the Snyder cut? Great. You can lobby for it. It's a free country. But the people that were actually angry, like, and there were many of them, some of you probably, you know, like I am being denied my right because the studio is keeping the Snyder cut away from me. It's like, no, you're not. <laughs> well, and that same mentality is you live in a country that has unparalleled wealth and liberty. And it is the function of the work of a bunch of old, dead, white slaveholders. Mm-hmm. You can not like that all you want, but those are the facts of history. You don't get to change the facts of history. And you ought to be awfully careful about using the hard-fought, hard-won liberties and wealth and prosperity that you enjoy to attack the men that gave it to you for their cultural blindness without taking a look in the mirror and being sure you don't have a great big log sticking out of your own eye, which isn't to say that they didn't have cultural blindnesses and sins that were very real and very wicked and very wrong. Just you have to have enough perspective about yourself and your own sin and about the grand scope of history and where we have come from to have a little humility when you see people who have done great things and still been centered. Well, what a great thing. Mm-hmm. The, you know, here's a, here's a historical narrative for you. These men who were slaveholders and dealt in the slave trade, a wicked thing, managed to do something really great in spite of all of that. Maybe we can learn from them and aspire to do something great in our time, despite our sins and cultural wickednesses and blindnesses. Which is, by the way, the thing that 
is really inspirational about watching Hamilton. Whatever else you want to say about it, he does a pretty good job of portraying these guys as weak, broken people who were just trying to do something. Yeah, and, it and never... who didn't even really know what they were doing. Mm-hmm. He doesn't make any bones about the fact that Hamilton wanted lifetime Senate seats and lifetime presidencies. Like, Hamilton didn't know what he was doing. He was just They he was were just all making stuff. it up, is yeah. what he was... What he basically says, he's the like, one, they're the, all throwing ideas out there. The one right? guy that emerges as the villain of the show, as the, or at least the anti-hero, is Aaron Burr. And it's precisely because he refuses to just throw paint at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. He's not going to throw away his shot. He's not going to take any shots. No, he wants to wait for the dust to settle. And Lin-Manuel Miranda is saying the dust has never settled. For 200 years, the dust hasn't settled. And, it, that's, and so you got to throw in. you got to throw you in. you got to take risks. Yeah. Well, and I just think for all the people out there, I know we've said this before, but... You know, learn the lesson of that malicious turf, J.K. Rowling. When you empower the mob, eventually the mob might come for you. Maybe one day you'll find that your values don't ally with the groupthink that's out there. And then you will be sorry that the groupthink that is out there has been given the power. The power that you helped give. So what you're saying is real person fan fiction doesn't stay in its place. It actually becomes... Real life mob rule, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, and that's that's what this article basically is espousing, and that's what we're seeing. In I don't want to have an argument about statues and Confederate statues versus non-Confederate statues or any other statues out there. No, but if that's not an example of fan fiction, let's just let's just rewrite history. Yeah, to bring it into line with our values, so yeah. we don't have to remember things that we hate mm-hmm. anymore. And there's a flip side perspective to that too, which is these statues represent a different kind of fan fiction. Some of them represent, you know, the Scarlett O'Hara Gone with the Wind fan fiction. Mm -hmm. But let's stop replacing fan fiction with fan fiction. Right. Let's just give up the whole idea of fan fiction and let's have a real historical acknowledgement of who we are, where we've come from, and what we need to do moving forward. Well, that's the real lie of the devil. He's like, like, oh, let's give it to the devil that the conservative side has always done that. Let's, let's say he's right. You don't beat it by coming back with your own fan fiction. You don't beat a lie by coming back with a lie. I mean, it's what I hate. Like, there's this whole notion of, I don't know what you'd call it, like corrective lying. You know, if a, right. if a few good cops mm-hmm. go down in Black Lives Matter, if then a few Then we need good- to lynch a couple cops, and it doesn't matter if they're guilty or not, because... It's a way to send a message about police brutality, and it all equals out one way or another. Yeah, hashtag me too, hashtag believe women. Yep. If a few men are accused of rape falsely and go down for it. So much the better, because that'll send a shockwave and, you know, whatever. But that is a fundamental denying of any principle of justice, any notion of objective morality, any understanding of rule of law. What we want is not retaliation and revenge and yin and yang and sides versus sides. What we want is justice. And that justice has to be unilaterally applied in all situations. And that doesn't mean that we, because we have a perceived systemic injustice over here, we need to counterbalance it with with an injustice on the other side. It means that we need to be moving towards justice in every, each and every case. Period. That's one of the things I love. I've just, for whatever reason, been reading through, well, because I'm reading the Bible, because I like to read the Bible. I've been reading Leviticus and Numbers, and it's fascinating in the Mosaic Law how many times it says, 
you shall not show preference yeah. to the poor. Like it says that a whole bunch. Mm-hmm. And then it says you shall not show preference to the rich. And we like, all know we only need to hear one of those, Nathan. Yeah. We all know that. The entire premise that Marxism is built on is we all always want to show preference to the rich. So therefore, we must show preference to the poor. Syst- we must show systemic preference to the poor. I'm all for charity towards the poor. But what we want is justice, not preference to, every, to anybody. Yep. Partiality is the problem. Mm-hmm. So long as it's just a question of who you're being partial toward. On the one hand, we acknowledge everybody's got their partialities, everybody's got their prejudices, everybody's got their biases. The rule of law exists to put a blindfold on us. It's the blindfold that we're working toward. And it's the blindfold that we ought to be constantly working toward and demanding. And there are always going to be people who are going to want to swing one way or other in their partialities. The rule of law has to be impartial. So then people come back and say, well, the law is itself, the law by which he rule is itself partial and prejudiced against the people group. Okay, then the answer is not reject the rule of law. The answer is change the law. Let's not reject the outright, the idea of a governing authority and a rule of law Mm -hmm. and replace that with mob justice, which is intrinsically less just. Let's work through the law and let's change the law. I agree that the law is unjust in many places. Our law sanctions the murder of children. Let's start there. Okay, the law needs to change. But what we don't give up in the process is the rule of law. Right, and this weird syllogism that Christians have of this weird unspoken syllogism, or maybe spoken in some places, of the government allows the murder of babies, so therefore I'm allowed to jaywalk. Uh, Yeah, okay, you've just embraced anarchy. Right. (laughs) Good job. You're now anti-Christian. God gives the sword. And to tie that back to Hamilton, you don't get to reject the rule of facts. The proper response is not, it doesn't matter if Hamilton is factual because its purpose is to reclaim history for this special interest group. Or these groups. The proper response is, well, if there is a historical inaccuracy, let's talk about it. Right. Sound of Sanity Today, produced by me, executive produced by Jake and me, associate produced by Ben. You can go to patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity for all our skits. A lot of times the skit of the week comes out early there. That's pretty cool, right? You can listen to our review of Hamilton, me and Jake's review. It's actually up there for $0. And you can support this great work. Once again, that's patreon.com forward slash sound of sanity. Also, check out our Instagram page at sound of sanity and our Twitter page at Warhorn Media. Until next time, stay sane. Stay sane.